Welcome to the MILF Bod Podcast. Mindful, intuitive, lifestyle, fitness. An all-encompassing wellness resource for women featuring some of the most successful, influential mothers and experts out there. I'm your host, Cherokee Luker, mother, model, fitness trainer, and wellness enthusiast. Join me as we dive into all things MILF. Hello, my loves, and welcome back to the show. My guest today is someone very special to me. It is my very own mother, Chanda Luker, who I am so excited to be here interviewing because she just has one of the most incredible stories. She is the OG MILF. I mean, growing up, I would get teased a lot about how hot my mom was and still is to this day. So, Thanks a lot, mom. <laughs> no, but uh, seriously, this episode is something very special to me. And of course, I've heard her story many times, but it never fails to tear on my heartstrings and really just puts things into perspective. There were definitely some tears shed <laughs> during this episode, but there's also lots of laughter. My mom goes into detail about her pretty tragic childhood in Cambodia during the Khmer Rouge and being held in a concentration camp and having to be taken away from her own mother. I won't go into it because my mom goes into pretty vivid detail, but this episode is just really about overcoming adversity and staying strong. It's really about my mom's story of how she was able to come to America and create a beautiful life for me and my brother and my father. And I just admire her so much for her strength and her courage. So I hope you all enjoy this episode. On that note, please welcome my mom to the show, Chanda Luker. Enjoy. All right, you guys, calling all creatives of LA or anyone traveling to the LA area in need of an event space, photo studio, content location, video space, production services, or grip services. Issue Studio is a unique photo, video, and event space, and Issue offers full-service production in an exclusive, intimate, and private boutique environment. The space is so beautifully curated, you guys, and I can't tell you how many shoots I've done at Issue that have turned out to be some of my favorite shoots to date. Not to mention a bunch of amazing events I've attended over the years where the studio gets completely transformed into the best atmosphere for the perfect party. Also, you guys, the wallpaper in the makeup room is absolutely iconic and it's perfect for the Instagram feed. So I highly recommend Issue Studio for any brand or any influencer looking to elevate their image. It is seriously the most beautiful studio I've ever shot at. And I've shot at a lot of studios here in LA and it's just so clean. It's centrally located. There's a huge parking lot, which is huge here in LA. So go check it out at issuephotostudio.com to find more details about how you can book this amazing space for your next photo shoot, video production, content creation, party, event, whatever it is that any of you creatives need here in LA, Issue Studio has got you. So go check it out. Hi. Hi. <laughs> this is so weird. Uh, Hi, mom. Welcome to the show. 
Hi, Cherokee. Thank you for having me. Oh, you're so professional. <laughs> so, everyone, this is the OG MILF. <laughs> Seriously, because when I went to school, I wouldn't get teased, but like everybody knew you as the MILF because you were the hottest mom in the town and still are. Great. <laughs> title that I wanted. <laughs> I mean, you know it. But mm. even now that you're, f- how old are you now? 51. I always forget your age <laughs> because you just look like a baby. <laughs> yeah, people think that we're sisters. Everywhere we go, everyone's like, oh, so this is your sister? I'm like, no, no, but my mama. So, okay, mom. So yeah. start from the beginning. Tell me about your childhood being born in Cambodia, growing up in Cambodia during the time that you did. And yeah, just start from the beginning. Yeah, so I was born in Phnom Penh, Cambodia, which is the capital of Cambodia. During the time, there were a lot of political issues. The Vietnam War were ending, and then the Khmer Rouge, which is the Pol Pot regime, started. He is a communist party who wanted to take over the country He was very corrupt. During the Vietnam War, he had recruited a lot of young boys, especially farmers who were really, really poor, manipulated them to come and be part of his program, promising them that they would have a better life, that they will have status and titles if they come and be part of his training, I guess. So that's how the... Pol Pot regime started. During that time, the Cambodian people were tricked into leaving their home. According to my mother's words, she told me that they were saying that the Americans were going to bomb the city. At the time, when I was a baby, my mother lived with her grandparents in the city and her sister, my aunt, Ravi. So the Trucks of armies came into the city and asked all of the Cambodian people to leave their home, saying they're going to clean the city out. There will be bombing, so follow them. They were leading people into a different area, so that way they will be out of danger and promise that they would be back to their home within a couple of days. So essentially, so, they're just lying to them. Yeah. And Pol Pot is basically like the Cambodian Hitler. Yes, basically. He's Adolf Hitler. So my mom, my aunt, and I, and at the time, my sister was just born. My sister, Napike, was only a baby. Mm-hmm. So we marched out of the city with just a few items on our my backs. How old were you, Mom? When we left. I was three or four years old. Anyhow, we kept marching out of the city. There were so many people. Um, we come to the came to the first checkpoint, which I guess, according to my mom, it was the first camp that they came to. Basically, after walking about one to two days, I don't remember exactly, oh um, without not knowing where they were going to end up. With So at this checkpoint, they provided an area for each family to just rest. And they had portioned out water and rice and 
was assigned just to stay there overnight. But then the overnight turned into weeks. Yeah. And then weeks turned into months. And then we were starving. At the time, my mom said that they were only portioning out, you know, one meal per day, mm-hmm. which is watered down rice. Sometimes they're lucky to get vegetables, but hardly ever. So a lot of people starve to death. So Yeye is the Khmer term for grandmother. So I'm going to refer to her as Yeye, which is my mom's mom. So how was Yeye reacting during this time? Like, was she keeping her cool or was she kind of acting scared or was she just trying to stay strong for you? Or I think she was just trying to stay strong for me. Mm-hmm. She doesn't talk much about it. I remember asking her about it when I was 11, 12 years old, about mm-hmm. her experience in the concentration camps. And she refused to talk about it. A lot of the time, she would answer one word answer yeah, just when I asked short, very yeah. short because, you know, I'm pretty sure it's traumatizing. But she said she wanted to stay strong and be the male of the family. Be the was, alpha. Yeah. yeah. It was just me, my little sister, and her sister. Um, it was just us four girls because my dad was a French exchange professor. They met in 1969, and during the political riots, all foreigners were ordered to leave the country. So I've never met my dad. And so she didn't want to go to France with him. He wanted to bring her, I guess, at one point. That's what she told me, but she didn't want to leave her family at the time. Mm -hmm. And then my sister's father was killed in action right after she was born. So it's enough just to be the four of us girls. My aunt was very close to to my mom. They were inseparable mm-hmm. s- since the day they were born. So yeah. my aunt is older than my mom, about four years apart, I believe. So yeah, the first concentration camp they came to, they stayed probably according to my mom, about six to eight months. But, you know, time isn't, uh, is lost. Everything that is normal in our daily routine is completely lost Mm -hmm. during that time. So after that, they were ordered to move to a different concentration camp because they were moving people around according to where they need them to work. So in this new concentration camp, By that time, I was five years old, and they took all the children away. It's okay, Mom. Yeah, so I was taken away from my mom because I was five years old to put in a children's concentration camp. And that's at the age they started taking children away from the parents. And my mom, my aunt, my sister were in a different camp, and... They told my mom that the adults needed to work all day and the children needed to stay at a different camp. Mm -hmm. And so when I was told to leave, of course, you know, she was very in agony. She said she was so scared that she would never find me anymore, that I would not ever see her again. And so when I remember... Not vividly, but I remember being my first day away from my mom. There were all these other children 
And we were lined up in a row. There was this open building. It was just a wide building with just a roof. And they gave us uniform, which is just all black. And anyone with long hair, they chopped the hair off. So everyone looked the same. And each one of us were given a blanket. And we were told to sleep wherever on the floor. Mm-hmm. So all these children, about age five and up, probably five to 10 years old, were in this camp. And each one of us were assigned a job. Mostly the kids would be out in the rice field, Mm -hmm. digging ditches or whatever they ask of you to do, either to work in the garden or just improving the land for the Khmer Rouge soldiers and their family. So my duty was working in this garden, weeding and planting. And I I was apparently liked by one of the Khmer Rouge soldiers' wife. And she took me in and would give me food. And every time, you know, it's a meal time, she would let me sit with her and she would give me extra food and vegetables, and I I would just share with all the other children. And most of the kids were starving to death, and most of them died during that time of starvation. And every day, I would just think about where my mom, my sister, my aunt was. One day, I don't know how, how long it has been since I had seen my mom. She had found me. I guess she had searched every day for where I was located and she finally saw me just sitting in the garden and she knew that if she would come to me, that if they find out, our whole family would die. Basically, she tried to catch my attention and I didn't see her, but she one time came And I finally saw her, but I didn't really remember who she was. But then she told me that one time, the third time or the fourth time she'd seen me, she brought some frogs, some insects, just so I could eat. So I told her that she should keep it and eat it for herself. So she left and then she came back and she said, I'll come back and get you. And then one of the soldiers saw Yay Yay talking to me. And so they told me that I would be able to go with her the next time she, you know, come to talk to me. So I was so happy, but it was their way of saying, you know, you are going to die with your family, basically. So that day they let me go with Yeye and I went back to where she was and The next day, they told us that we were going to march to a grave where they kill everybody that they just throw in this big grave. And then that morning, there were soldiers running around. My mom said she didn't know what was going on. They had gone from concentration camps to concentration camp to free the people, to free the refugees. So... This one soldier, I guess, Yeye said that he was like a white man, told us to run 
to run to safety. And he just said, follow the people. And it was basically our lives were saved because we were scheduled to die from her you know, coming to talk to me in the children's camp. Who was that man? We don't know. He was just a soldier. That's what Ye Ye said. He was just a soldier that was freeing everybody, all the people in the concentration camp. Can you imagine getting to meet him? I know. It'd be so, so cool. All these soldiers, probably like the American soldiers, I'm assuming. So he ordered everybody to just follow each other and he showed the way. Just He said, just keep running. And then Ye Ye ran and found this bridge and she lost her sister in the stampede. So she told me to just stay under the bridge with my sister. And I just sat there and I waited for her. It felt so like the whole day. And I kept hearing guns going off, bombs going off and people screaming and yelling. And then all of a sudden it just got really quiet and yay yay and my aunt never came until it was dark. And then we started climbing up the river bank and then we just kept walking. And then we came to a group of people and it was other refugees that was just waiting out that night. And then the next day, we just kept walking towards the whole crowd going towards Thailand. Mm -hmm. And then we finally came to this area where there were so many refugees and then there was a Red Cross. Um, And then we were told that we are safe. We can stay here and we will be okay. That There's no more danger. So... Yeye was so happy. And the Red Cross people gave us soap and all the toiletry stuff, toothpaste and all the necessary stuff, blankets, and told us that we can go and get some food and gave us a tent for each family was assigned just a tent and an area to just pitch the tent and stay there until they know more about what's going on. And so we stayed in Thailand for probably a couple years looking for sponsorship. My mom met Ian. She was um, going from, you know, jobs to job there in Thailand. She was selling coffee and then she met Ian, my stepdad, and they got married. Or not really, they they just became husband and wife and Mm -hmm. my aunt met a man as well. And so my mom and my aunt were pregnant. Ming Tavi is my sister who was born right before we came to the U.S. And Bu Cham Nan is my cousin who was born right before my sister. So they were about the same age. And during the time we were waiting to be sponsored, the immigration People told Yeye that we were coming to Maine and my aunt was going to Georgia. And of course, my mom didn't want to be separated from her sister. So she had explained to them that she didn't want to be separated. But the immigration lady 
told them that, you know, they're on the same side of it's still USA and that once we get to the United States, we can move freely. And so they had given an address and a phone number, you know, once they get to the U.S., this is who they could call to get the information. Mm -hmm. Um, So we came to the United States in January 1981. Our family was sponsored by a group of church people, Old South Congregational Church, which is in Farmington, Maine. And it was the first time we ever saw snow. Mm -hmm. January. January, there's a lot of snow. And my sister and I were in our sundresses. And I remember getting off the plane, shivering. We were all shivering. We didn't know why it was so cold. Mm -hmm. And then Jean and Claude Vachon were the two people that sponsored us or in charge of our family, trying to find us housing and jobs. So basically, they showed up with, you know, coats and mittens and hats for us. And they put us in the van and drove us, it seemed like, forever and ever and ever. And we got to our house in Farmington late at night. It was an apartment. And so we all stayed together there and the heat wasn't working and Claude was trying to get the heat working for us. It was so cold in there and he started, there was a fireplace and he started to build a fire. That was my first memory of just sitting there feeling the warmth and it it was amazing. And so from there, they got Ian, my mom, a job. And at this time... About almost a year into living in Farmington, my brother was born. His name's Hero because he was the hero of the family. (laughs) So (laughs) Ian got a job working at International Paper, um, which was the best paying job. And then my mom just did a lot of house cleaning, just odd jobs here and there until a couple years later, she worked at GH Bass, which is a, they sew shoes, boat shoes. So she was a hand sewer and she, you know, it was piecework. So she was very, very fast and she's a hardworking woman and she just worked really, really hard and was able to save money, enough money to buy our own house. And so we bought our first home and my sister and I, I remember our first day in school, the Mallet School, we were like celebrities there because yeah. <laughs> everybody wanted to know us and get to know us. And we were, you know, we looked different from all of them. And it was amazing to see the different color of eyes and hair. We've never seen that before because right. in Asia, people all have black hair and dark skins and brown eyes. So, I remember, you know, being in second grade, Mrs. Dodge, who was an amazing woman, she would treat me special. And I remember all the way to fifth grade, I was in love with the solar system. I wanted to be an astronaut. <laughs> and Ray Terrian, who was an English a second language teacher, he helped our family study English yeah, how long did it take you to learn English? I would say probably a couple years to really understand and speak fluently from not knowing a single word. Mm-hmm. Ray was a big 
contributor to all of us learning English. Yeah. He spent a lot of time with our family, and he, he loved each one of us. He loved eating our food. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that was his most favorite thing. <laughs> yeah. That was his payment for teaching you guys. Yeah. 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 He loves to cook, and my aunt loves to cook. So they would invite everybody in the neighborhood to come and, and have their food. Every weekend, I remember, we used to have a lot of people that come to our house and we just share yeah. our food, our culture. The people were very welcoming and loving. It was a, an amazing childhood growing up on Quebec Street. And still to this day, you're still best friends with your childhood mm-hmm. friends. Yep. So this day, I have two Childhood best friends, Bev and Jen, they're amazing people. We stuck through since seventh grade. Then I, in high school, I thought I wanted to be a doctor. Mm -hmm. So I volunteered my time at the local hospital and I, the sight of blood made me want to faint every single time. So I decided, well, maybe being a doctor is not the best thing. So I wanted to do something with humanity. So in my senior year, I spent a lot of time with Mr. Black, who had family from the Holocaust. Mm -hmm. He and I would travel around to all the universities of Maine and speak about kindness, basically, human rights, about the Holocaust and about the Pol Pot regime, how the common threat of the torture devices that they use. Oh, it's so similar. Yeah, it's very, very similar the way they want to brainwash their own people. It's so crazy how one person can be just evil. It also is just crazy to me, too, that they don't teach about this in school. Mm -hmm. The Pol Pot regime, nobody. That was my biggest reason why I wanted to bring awareness awareness to everybody, you know, in high school level. Because I think the more people know about it, it'll bring compassion to everybody and spread kindness instead of hatred of if you see someone with different skin color or culture. That was my outcome of every talk that I did with Mr. Black. We were you know, united together to bring awareness of kindness to society because that's what we need, really. And so I took a lot of AP classes. I wanted to be someone that I could help other people. First, I wanted to work as an ambassador, and then I wanted to work as a psychiatrist. (laughs) But then I took a lot of AP advanced placement classes, and I just got burned out from studying all the time. And so I decided that I wanted to do something easy. (laughs) My other passion was traveling. I wanted to do something with travel and tourism. So I just took this program where it's for international travel. It's basically a four-year program condensed into a one-year program. Going to school every day, like you're going to a job Monday through Friday, and it's between eight to 10 hours each day. So I could get all the classes done. While I was doing that, it was in, in Massachusetts, so Yeye and Ian had sold a house in Farmington and they moved to Lowell, Mass. There's a group of Cambodian people that live there. So they wanted to move there and be part of the community there. 
Ian owned a movie rental store that speaks different languages. And it was a very successful business. But they did a lot of shady stuff. They had an addiction gambling. So basically their money that they earned went to that. And I came home to be with my friend Bev and Jen. We were going to a bachelor party and we were at a fast food restaurant, um, Irving 24-hour truck stop. And that's when I met Bradford, (laughs) the love of my life. My dad. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I love this story. (laughs) He was sitting there all by himself and then he came over, walked over to the table and asked if he could join us girls. What was your first impression of dad? I had a boyfriend at the time. And then when I saw him, I just, well, look at this macho guy, you know, walking towards us. And my friend Jen's like, oh, he's hot. Yeah. (laughs) But he kind of looked really sad. So I felt really sad for him. So he, he came over and he asked to sit down and he sat in front of me and I was eating Texas toast and I had <laughs> like crumbs on the side of my mouth and he reached over and tried to brush the crumb off my face and I was like, uh, uh, what are you doing? It <laughs> sounds like that. Yeah. It's cute. Yeah. And so that's how we first met. He asked for my phone number and I'm like, uh. You gave him the wrong number. I gave him the wrong number because I had a boyfriend. I didn't know what to say because I felt bad. And then I gave him the wrong number. And after he left, my friend Jen's like, John, you can't do that. So she ran out and gave him my the, the right, right number. number. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> and then I came out and I said sorry to him. I'm like, I'm really, really sorry. And so I was still working at Fortune Fountain and it was my last week working there. And so he called my number and I said, no, I have to work. And I told him where I was working and he bought me a dozen red roses <laughs> on his way to work. Oh, <laughs> And then he... um showed up at the house, at my house, which they were selling it. I was still there for a couple months while I was done, you know, trying to finish working at the restaurant. And then I was going to go to move completely to Lowell, Mass, which I didn't want to do that. But anyhow, so he came and picked me up. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and we went our first date to a movie I think it was Jean-Claude Van Damme movie. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then we talked a lot. We didn't really watch the movie. We just talked and he mm-hmm, told sure me. talk. Yeah. <laughs> 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 Maybe make out a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah, so that's when we started dating. And the rest is history. Yeah, the rest is history. But I moved to Lowell to live with Yeye so I can go to school to start on my um, international travel classes. But before I started, I was going to Cambodia. Yeye had bought me a ticket as my graduation gift to go to Cambodia to meet my grandmother for the first time because she found out that her mom was still alive and she and my aunt went and like Mm mid-1980s because we arrived in 1981 in America and they 
were searching for their family after arriving in America. And they found out that a couple of their siblings had died, but her other sister was still alive and her mom was still alive and her two brothers were still alive. So her and my aunt made a trip back in 1986 or 87, I think. They went back to Cambodia. And so she wanted me to go back and visit. And it was an amazing trip back. Met all my mom's side of the family for the first time ever. Yeah, this was in 1992, right? Yep, 1992. So what did you feel going back? Were you nervous? I was really scared, but I was excited to meet my grandmother and cousins. You know, it was a great trip because they took me all through the country. We went to Angkor Wat, which is the number one destination for most tourists. Mm -hmm. It's a sacred place, all the temples. I learned the culture. And basically, wherever I went, I felt like I was a celebrity (laughs) because I looked totally different from from all of them. Because you're half French, half Cambodian. Yeah. So, yeah, wherever I went, it was kind of (laughs) cool. But, you know, it was very sad because— a lot of the buildings still had the remnants of the war. Yeah. Um, and they were trying to rebuild the country. And I guess now it's it's a thriving it is, yeah. place now. I mean, I cannot believe that I still haven't gone. Just yeah. the fact that I've been to Thailand so many times and didn't just go on a flight there. Yeah. But every person that I talk to who says that they've visited Cambodia says that it's their favorite destination. Yeah. It's such a beautiful country. It really is. And I was very, very fortunate to have that opportunity to go. And someday, yeah, you and Chad will go. um, I know. I'm mad that I didn't get to meet our great grandmother, mm-hmm. but she lived a long life. She lived. So. I think she was ninety-eight years old when she passed. So, anyways, I went to school as a travel agent, and I was living in Lowell at the time. And Brad, you know, he would call and want to come, and Yaye didn't really want me to be with him. Yeah, she didn't approve. She didn't approve at all because he was married before and he has three kids from his previous marriage and she begged me to not, you know, be with someone like that. And they had an arranged marriage with this wealthy man. Yeah, which I just learned about like a few years ago that you were in an arranged marriage where you were supposed to be and I had no idea. Yeah. So I ran away from Lowell. After I finished my schooling, I just kept telling Ye Ye, you know, I I don't want to be married to this man. I don't care how wealthy he is. You know, I I don't know who he is. Did you ever meet him? No, I've never met him because I never wanted to because at the time I was seeing dad and was much in love with him and mm-hmm. no one else. So after I finished my last test, my last class, I packed my bags quietly and drove to Farmington mm-hmm. to be with dad. I didn't tell Ye Ye, I didn't tell a single person because I didn't want them to stop me and I didn't want to stay in the city. Yeah. And so at the time, dad... He was trying to build a house, and so I just said, okay, I'll come stay with you. And then he asked me to marry him, and it was, (laughs) well, in my car, Dodge Charger, (laughs) my first car. 
and it was in the McDonald's parking lot. <laughs> really setting the bar high, Dad. <laughs> no, but I love that. I, know, he, I didn't know he was going to ask me to marry him. At first, I was kind of hesitant, but then, you know, I love him so much, but I didn't like the fact, you know, I'm going to be raising three other kids kids that's not my own I I was worried about that but then I thought well I guess I can be strong enough to do that so I love this man and I can't you know punish him for what has happened in his previous life and so so I said yes and then (laughs) we had a quiet ceremony it was just his parents what was it like not having Ye Ye It was either? very, very sad. My heart was broken. And it's not because of them. I think it's because I felt that I betrayed them, not them betraying me because I— You felt like you were failing them. Yeah, I was failing them, and I was the one that left and wanted to start a life, a quiet life. So— Yeah, it was a very, very sad day. I didn't let any of my friends know. Nobody knew that dad and I were getting married. We just had a quiet ceremony in the local church, just Mm -hmm. the two of us and the minister and Grammy and Grandpa, Yeah, Brad's parents. And then how long did it take for Yeye to come around? When I got married, I was already pregnant with you, Cherokee. (laughs) Oh, yeah, I think think you knew that. So we got engaged in December. December, mm-hmm. And then April 10th was our wedding day. I wanted to get married on Easter day. Mm-hmm. So I always love Easter because it's a new start of spring, new beginning of everything. Yeah. So I think I found out that I was already like almost three months pregnant. <laughs> oh my gosh. So <laughs> technically I was there at your wedding. Yeah, you were there. Oh, Cherokee, I never thought of it that way. That's cool. I didn't either until just now. Yeah. Oh, oh, I like that. Yeah, you were. Little <laughs> beans. beans. <laughs> <laughs> A little tiny bean. Yeah. All right, my MILF fam. As you all know, I'm always looking for ways to aid in becoming the most optimal version of myself, mentally, physically, spiritually, and emotionally. And one of the things I do to support myself in doing this is by taking my vitamins every single day. And I know it can be overwhelming sometimes with all of the supplement brands out there, but one brand that I've been a huge fan of for years now is Wealthy. Two products I absolutely love by them is the Her and the Sweat. And they just recently sent me the Vision Gummies, which I am so excited to try and see the results from. Get it? See the results from the Vision Gummies? Which I think is so cool that they are pioneering advocacy for vision health because, you know, we're always looking at our screens every day. And it's something that I think a lot of people just put on the back burner and dismiss. But the HER is a great way for women to get their daily dose of biotin, vitamins A, B, C, D, E, calcium, hyaluronic acid, magnesium, and selenium. Just all of the great things that us women need and are probably lacking and it's all in one. And then the sweat is something I like to take before a workout to just help enhance my burn with the natural caffeine. And there's also dandelion root in there to help with my metabolism and digestion. 
The quality of these supplements are just next level. And I'm telling you, you have to go check them out. If you use the code MILFBOD, you get 25% off your first order when you go check out at imwealthy.com. That's code MILFBOD, M-I-L-F, B-O-D at checkout at I'm wealthy, I-M-W-E-L-L-T-H-Y.com to get 25% off your first order. Enjoy everybody. So you were 22 when you got pregnant with me. Yep. And then during, you know, you're being pregnant with you, I was very, very sad. I was depressed a lot at the beginning because, you know, I didn't have any friends. It was a brand new place. Didn't know any of dad's family. They weren't that welcoming with me because of his previous marriage. And, the you know, Shane and Derek were three years old and Danielle was five. So they were more focused. I was more like an outsider than, you know, and then dad worked swing shift. So I didn't get to spend a lot of time with him. And yeah, that's hard. It man. was... Yeah, it was the most difficult time of my life during the first two years of our marriage because I was completely lost. You Um, felt lonely. I felt lonely. All my friends were still in college or finishing college. The only person that really showed any interest in helping me was my sister-in-law, Karen Luker. She also had an agenda. She wanted to be a midwife, and so it was— wonderful having her there telling me basically what to expect and what to not expect. I didn't know that, actually. I had no idea that she wanted to be a midwife. She wanted to be a midwife. She was signing up to do the classes Mm -hmm. and she's loved, you know, seeing babies being born. And so she wanted to be a midwife. And so she was signing up for the classes and I was the first person that she could go through all the different trimester, you know, like all the different stages of pregnancy. And so I was thankful that she was there for me. Did she teach you a lot? Yeah, she taught me a lot because she already had three kids. Right. You know. Yeah, so she already knew. She already knew. Were you excited when you got pregnant? I was very excited because I didn't know I was pregnant. I didn't have morning sickness or anything, but I was very tired a lot. And I'm usually not a tired kind of person. I I have a lot of energy. And so I had to check myself, you know, find a doctor. So I went to get a pap smear. So when they had me pee in the cup, you know, they tested to see if you're pregnant or not. And then I remember the nurse came in and said, "Uh, do you know you're pregnant? I said, what? Oh my gosh. No. And then, you know, I told dad, I called him and he was like, what? Really? Wow. That's awesome. You know? And so I found a doctor, Dr. Adler, women's care. And she basically, she was the one, like a mother too, to me. She's not only a doctor, but she took a lot of time to just explain to me what to expect, you know? And Yeah. I feel like even now you refer a lot to the things that she's taught you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. She's a great doctor and I was very grateful that she took me on. Did you feel like you were really young to get pregnant? Yes. Back then, that was kind of normal to yeah. get pregnant in your early to mid-20s. Yeah. And now, thinking about it, it's like I cannot imagine being yeah. pregnant when I was 22. Yeah, yeah. Because you're still basically child. Yeah, 
the average age then was probably 23 to 27. Yeah. Majority of it were in their 23, 24 yeah. to the 25 age. My aunt still lived in Farmington at the time. So I finally had the courage enough because I didn't know if she would accept me. So when I found out I was pregnant, I waited like a couple months before I went to uh, my aunt's house. And I just told her that I was pregnant. And she was so happy. Yeah. And was very grateful that I came to her. And she cried and she hugged me. And she's like, I'll be here to help you. And so mm. I was glad that I had enough courage to just go to her house to tell her that. And I was already, yeah. it was a couple months before you were to be born. And so she was at the hospital with me when you were born. Mm -hmm. I always think about like generational trauma and if that's even a real thing, like if it can be biologically passed to you because you know, obviously, Yay Yay has experienced so much trauma. Yeah. And I wonder if that, you know, gets carried on to you. And then they say that, you know, the trauma that you've experienced can get carried on to me. So mm -hmm. I just, I always think about that. And I didn't really realize that you were so sad at the beginning of your pregnancy, but it makes sense that you were. I don't think you ever told me that part of it. No. Did you experience any like postpartum depression or anything or? No, not at all. Probably because you had family there yeah. to support you then. Yeah. So you were born and, of course, my aunt called Yay Yay to tell her. And I could hear her on the phone crying and was very excited Aww. to be the first grandchild. Yeah. And yeah. so… <laughs> I am the first grandchild. Yeah, you That's are. cool. Yeah. So she wanted to come and see you right away. And my aunt told her not to because she didn't know if I would accept that right away because she never wanted to talk to me while I was pregnant. She didn't want to, yeah. I would call and she'd hang up and she would never want to talk to me oh during, during that time, which I call like maybe twice. And then I just gave up, you know, because I didn't want to keep traumatizing myself of the rejection, even though it was me to blame my own doing. But at the same time, it was like they never understood, you know, no, how you, I it's felt. it's not you to blame. I know. I don't think you should think that at all. Well, I did. Well, mom, no. I know that that's how you feel, but yeah. like, that's not the case at all. I know. As a mother, you should accept your child unconditionally. And yeah, of course, it's a cultural thing. So yeah. it, I'll never be able to understand. Also, it's a generational thing as well. Right. Because, yeah. you know, Yeye's generation is very different from yeah. ours. And there's certain traditions that you have to hear by. And, but you can't hold on to that feeling of I like but, of rejection. Uh, yeah. But I remember the first conversation I had with her. You were probably three months old. Mm -hmm. And she asked me to come to Lowell because yeah. she wanted to see you. So I went by myself with you because my aunt offered to come, but I said, no, I just want this moment. And so I remember, you know, getting to her apartment and she just looked at you and she just picked you up and just was like holding you and just cried and cried and cried. And then she kept saying, I'm sorry. Mm. 
So I brought you and EAA back together. <laughs> yeah, you did, Turkey. <laughs> Reunited. Yeah. And so from that day forward, she has been nothing but so loving. And she did apologize and didn't realize, you know, that's not who I am. I didn't want to live a lifestyle that's, you know, of material things. I'm the total opposite of that. So yeah, and then she realized how dad is such a great man and he's so loving. And so she understood that and she accepted it finally. Yeah. You know, we have to understand just like I'm learning about a lot of things about you as I get older. But mm-hmm. like, you know, with Yeye, she's very stubborn. She's set in her ways and she's, yeah. it's like I said, a generational thing. So, yeah. yeah. And then. Yeah, now dad's her favorite. Because <laughs> how could he not be? I know. Okay, so what was it like? Because I know that when you were pregnant with me, it was a lot different than when you were pregnant with Chad. Yeah. Like you gained 52, 52, 52 pounds. 52 pounds with The me. reason why, so it was through the hottest summer. It was so hot and I had, for the first time ever, cankles. <laughs> Oh my gosh, I cannot picture that. <laughs> yeah, because I, I don't like to drink milk. So Dr. Adler was saying, well, you need to have calcium. You need to get vitamin D you know, and, and calcium. So that was a big push back then that right. they wanted you to drink milk, lots of milk. And I do not like milk at mm-hmm. all. The taste, the smell is just disgusting. So... She said, well, what do you like that has, you know, milk in it? And I said, well, I love ice cream. Yeah. <laughs> so I ate a lot of mint chip <laughs> ice cream. Great. That explains a lot. <laughs> yeah. So my cravings were a lot of salty food. And then, of course, I have had a bowl of ice cream each night to get my calcium because I thought that was the best way to get my calcium, but never realized that, you know, the sugar in it and all that. And that was never, you know, a thing that we pay attention to back then. So yeah, I gained, mostly it was fluid. I drank a lot of water. I don't drink anything else but water. And so yeah, I gained 52 pounds. Wow. And then with Chad, you gained? 31, I think. I think it was 31 pound or 29 pound. I don't exactly remember, but it was around there. Was it easier having Chad after you had me, obviously, right? Yeah. So with you, I gained that weight and then I was nursing. And within like four months of your birth, I lost a lot of weight. I mean, I was really, really skinny. Dr. Adler was really concerned that I lost, you know, all that weight within that short period of time. But it was basically fluid and you were nursing and you didn't learn to latch on. So I had difficulty nursing you. But finally, you know, you were able and you only nurse on one side. You would nurse on the left side of my breast, not Hmm. my right side. It was weird. For some reason, you just wouldn't latch on. So I would just have one boob that was really full and I had to pump all the time, that one side. And then you never wanted to take the bottle. You didn't like the nipple, the rubber nipple. I wanted (laughs) the real thing. You wanted the real thing. And then so I was a travel agent during that time when I was pregnant with you. And I took six weeks off, not even, I don't think, from work. And I had a full-time job. And 
Yeye watched you when you were a baby and then she had to go back to work. You know, she had lost her job and then she watched you until you were about two years old or Mm -hmm. so. Mm -hmm. And then she got her job back. And then so you were bouncing from Aunt Shari, dad's sister, and then back to Yeye. She didn't like her job, so she wanted to watch you and Chad full time. Yeah, they helped raise us a lot. Mm-hmm, they did. And so you went from the real thing to sippy cups. That's how oh. Yeye hmm. got you to drink my milk. And luckily, my office was only down the road. So I was yeah, able was so to come. convenient. Literally five back, minutes. Yeah, I was so able to take pump. a yeah, pump and then take an hour lunch break. And so it was really nice. And then I was pregnant with Chad. You guys are 22 months apart. Yeah, so having... Two full-time children and then part-time three and a full-time job and then a husband who works swing shifts. So most of the time, I was raising you guys alone. I was sort of like a single mom. But whenever dad is off, he had a stretch that he was off for six days. That was what was the most amazing time where he could help me. But at the same time, he hated his job working swing shift. He wanted to make investments, so we we worked hard, you know, investing, doing apartment buildings, and it was a lot. We didn't have time for us up until you guys were in school then, when Chad was in first grade, and then we sort of had a little time, but not really. On days that he had off, he had his other three kids, so Dad and I never had any time together together. We never went out to eat. We never did anything except stay home. You know, we have a lot of fun being at home and and then when you guys were older, you were in sports, and that was that was the best time of our lives, watching you guys play sports. More so, oh. Chad. Yeah, <laughs> Chad was more of the athlete. But yeah, I was the creative one. Let's say. Yeah, <laughs> but um, that's a lot, Mom. I feel like we could talk in for yeah. hours and hours and go yeah. into a lot of detail. But yeah, it just is so different now raising mm-hmm. kids compared to what it was like, you know, thirty years ago. Yeah, we didn't have options back then as far as like to entertain our children. They had to be entertained by pots and pans and I didn't believe in a lot of the toys either. Yeah, I don't remember having a lot of toys. No, I didn't believe in going to the store and buying toys. I never believed in that. I I was more of a mom that wanted to do like coloring, playing outside. Which I appreciate so much. I'm so glad that's how we were raised. Yeah. And plus, we had the trampoline. We had, you know, you guys yeah, had the we, best Yeah, I had child. the dreamiest childhood anyone yeah. could ever ask for. Yeah. It's just, it's because you and dad worked so hard and yeah. you guys hustled yeah, <laughs> for so did. long. And yeah. to give Chad and I the best childhood ever. Yeah. So, yeah, I learned a lot from you guys now that I'm a mom. Mm-hmm. So what was it like being there for the birth of your first grandchild. Oh my gosh. So it originally wasn't supposed to work out where you guys were supposed to be in town because I was just, you know, expecting that Hunter was going to come around or on his due date. But of course he was late. So you guys were planning to come a A week week after to visit after he was born. 
But it just so happened that because you guys were planning the week after, that's when he decided yeah, that to weekend when <laughs> we landed way into the world. Yeah, when we landed in LA, we got your text messages. My water broke, and I was like, "What? Yeah, whoa! I know it was cool. Yeah. It was like it was meant to be. Yeah. I feel like he waited. I for think us. he waited for you guys. Yeah, seriously. I think he knew we were coming. He's like, oh, I'm gonna wait. Yeah." Yeah, well, it was scary for me to watch my daughter giving birth. It was the hardest thing ever. I tried to be strong for you, but I secretly was crying. Really? You can ask Josh. Yeah. I kept turning my face away and I was crying so hard. And I'd go out to the living room where dad was sitting and he wanted to be in the room. But I know. But you didn't want him to be in the room. It's not that I didn't want him to be in the room. It just is like... I don't know. My midwife kind of advised yeah. me not to because yeah. they say that it can prevent you from having a more successful birth if, say, that your oxytocin levels are being, you know, interfered with. And I think that it, they technically say that you're supposed to give birth in front of people that you would feel comfortable having sex in front of. <laughs> Okay. And I'm like, okay, well, I do not feel comfortable having sex in front of my dad. I'm well, sorry. And I don't feel comfortable having sex in front of you. But it's like, obviously, you're yeah, my mom. I, yeah, really, I yeah. wanted you there. But I know I felt bad. He was fine. I mean, he says he wanted to be in the room. But then he I told me he, that he yeah. wanted to see you suffer a lot, yeah. a couple of the times. I think it would have distracted me to have him yeah. there. I wouldn't have been able to be like fully present mm. and just like let go. Yeah. And he was fine with me like reporting to him, you know, when you're between contractions. Mm-hmm. So yeah. then when Hunter finally decided to enter the world, we were all completely exhausted because for three and a half hours or four hours. Yeah. Like, oh, he's going to be here this time. And then, I you know, know, and then dad would get excited mm-hmm. and then disappointed, excited yeah. and then disappointed. Me too. I know. You, and I just wanted, I could see his head. It was the first time I've ever seen a baby born. Really? Live. Yes. I didn't know that. Yes. I've never seen any other baby born. Oh, that's cool. Really cool and interesting. It was like, Wow. It was amazing. And then when he finally came out and he looked healthy and mm-hmm. so handsome. I know. With his deformed head. <laughs> I know. Because <laughs> you were stuck yeah. <laughs> for a bit. But then it was so relief for you. and oh, The dad, biggest relief of yeah, my life. And I went right out to dad and hugged him and... We held hand and we cried and yeah. cried and cried and cried. And then dad heard that you were bleeding a lot and hemorrhaging. He, yeah. Hemorrhaging. And so he was like, what? What did they just say? Yeah. And then he he got really upset. He's like, oh, well, I told her not to have it at home. <laughs> <laughs> it would have happened either way, I'm sure. <laughs> But, yeah, it all worked out in the end. And it worked out perfectly that you guys were there because you just helped us so much in the first week. I don't feel like I could have done it without you guys there because… It's exhausting. It's just such a weird foreign feeling. I literally had no idea what to do. And you guys were there to take care of me because I was… I had to be… stay in bed. My labor with you was very easy. (laughs) Both of my labor was very easy. 
I say easy, but compared to yours and yeah. other people, like my friend Bev, mm-hmm. she hemorrhaged with Carter too. So yeah. So with you, I was in there probably after six hours you were born. Wow. Not even. It's my water. Wish that was genetic. <laughs> my water broke while I, was, I got up to go pee and I didn't know. What it was, and I kept peeing. Like I kept hearing the water, you know, going in the toilet. I'm like, "What? Why am I still peeing?" And oh, then I reached yeah. down. It was like this mucus. Go- yes, plugs. Yeah. yeah. So Dad had just got home from work that morning, and so he brought us to the hospital. And then by I think like one or two in the afternoon, yeah. I was pushing, and you came out. <laughs> yeah. I think my time was one twenty-seven p.m. Yeah, yeah. So it was pretty easy. And the same with Chad. He was the same wow. thing. Jealous. <laughs> so what's it like being a, a yay-yay now? A yay-yay. Yeah. yeah. A yay-yay. You're a yay-yay. Oh, it's an amazing feeling. It's like, wow, this is another like, generation yeah. of me creating. <laughs> It's cool because you you get all the benefits and then you don't have to do the hard stuff. (laughs) That's the cool part about being a grandparent. It's just like, okay, well, let me spoil you and let me have fun with you. But then go back to your parents now. Yeah, I know. I know. I remember. Yeah, I remember when you guys were little, it was exhausting, truly exhausting. But like with you guys, we had routine. It has to be structured. You know, dinner time, bedtime, all has to have consistency. And you and your partner have to be on the same page in order to raise a child that's not in a chaos environment. And that's why you and Chad, you know, do so well as adults. Mm -hmm. Yeah. One of my favorite things that you and dad always implemented into our routine is that we would make sure that we had dinner together every single night. And yeah. I think that's so important. It and is. I, I've carried that on for mm-hmm. our family with Hunter. I think that's a very big tradition that I look back on and mm-hmm. they're just such special times. You guys were structured, but at the same time, it wasn't like super strict. No, you know? no. It was, because- it was like the perfect balance of yeah. we still got to do basically whatever we— because we created like a trusting relationship with you guys. We yeah. more so felt like—and this is how I want to raise Hunter too. It's like I want him to feel like he is my friend and like he can talk to me about anything. And that's yeah. pretty much how I felt with you and dad. Yeah. Because uh, like a lot of my friends that I went to high school with— say if their parents raised them in a more strict environment, then they would just want to rebel. You just have to find the perfect balance of having that structure and then also being make your own where, make your own mistake. You, right. You and have learn to from learn your, learn you from your learn. mistakes. Yeah. Because a lot of the people who grew up with very strict parents yeah. now are wanting to do the things that I got to do when I was fifteen and sixteen. But right. yeah. yeah. So you guys did a good job at that. Because I think we were both very laid back. We, yeah. We let you make your own decision, but yet know how it's going to benefit you or yeah. not going to benefit you. Yeah. Because I always say funny things. <laughs> what? I always tell you. What? <laughs> like give you advice, try to give you advice when you were in high school a little bit. Like 
Okay, before you do that, think about the consequences. I know. The, will this benefit me or will this not benefit me? It literally just went in one ear and out the I other. <laughs> hey, look at me now. I turned yeah. out okay. <laughs> yeah, more than okay. <laughs> oh, my God, Mom. Let's move into the acronym, MILF. Mm -hmm. What mm -hmm. do you do to stay mindful? A lot of the time I read. I love reading. Reading has been always my love affair mm -hmm. <laughs> ever since in high school. Where I lived was just down the road from the public library, which I still go to the public library because I don't use Kindle. I don't like to read on the computer or, or yeah, phone. I, I like to touch the paper and the pages. And a lot of my friends actually think it's silly, you know, that because you can basically read anything online instead of going to the public library. But it's not I like, the same, though. No, I it's feel not. Like. So I do a lot of reading, and I also love to cook. Yeah. So I come up with whatever recipe, you know, and I, I am mindful um, on my food choice. I'm a, a clean eater. I've always have. I know. Even growing up, you would always eat clean. I think it's just, you know, part of culture. our culture. Yeah. yeah. I love fruits and vegetables. That was always our stable in, you know, growing up. Yeah, yeah. That's part of their culture. They don't eat a lot of meat or eat a lot of sweets. Mm -hmm. Although, yeah, yeah, loves hard candies. She'd yeah. have dish full yeah. of hard candies everywhere. She's a sweet tooth. But I'm more like a, I love savory. salty, sour, yeah, mm -hmm. savory. So, yeah, that's what I do mostly is read and, and cook. Yeah. yeah. Both of those things are such a good escape. Yeah, you're just able to be really present in the moment. Yeah. How do you listen to your intuition? I feel like you've always had a very strong intuition. Yeah. You're a very good judge of character, I think. Yeah. I can feel people's vibes. And their energy. And their energy. Mm -hmm. So if I'm talking to someone and their body language, mm -hmm. if it's not like forward with eye contact or smiling or... I basically read body language, and if someone is kind of like not standoffish. cold, standoffish, mm -hmm. I don't invest a lot of time. I put a lot of values in old friends and family. Yeah. What are some of your lifestyle non-negotiables? Like, what are some things that you do to make you feel like the best version of yourself? I don't go out to bars, party. You don't? No. <laughs> You're not out in the club, Mom? <laughs> uh, not anymore. No, I, I don't think I never was. You just like I mean, to go dancing. I, li I love to go dancing. Yeah. That's about it. And um, oh. <laughs> But basically taking time away from from dad and I time. I you mean alone time? Alone time, yeah. 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 You know, your newfound love is like paddle boarding. Paddle boarding and yeah. just like a calm, peaceful time to just sit by the lake. And I love planting flowers and being outside, being outside. And I love to pick berries. Yeah. <laughs> she was like the record <laughs> yeah. berry picker at, at Pike's farm. farm. Yeah. You know, strawberry. strawberry picking. <laughs> I know. I was in the newspaper. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> cool. Still a record. I know. We would always go strawberry picking. And I would sit there and eat all the berries. And mom, you would fill the bucket up and I would just sit there and eat. Yeah, I know. <laughs> oh, my God. Okay. So 
that's a good one. I need my alone time too to just yeah. recharge. I think it's yeah very important because I think we're both very similar in that we give out a lot of energy all the time. Mm-hmm. We're just giving, giving, giving. So I think that as I get older, I need that time mm-hmm. by myself to just be peaceful and mm-hmm. calm and just in my own space. Yeah, a lot of time I just sit there and just… or. When I sit there, I just stare out, you know, and and just (laughs) (laughs) into the sky. I love stargazing. That's always been my favorite thing to do at nighttime. I like to bring a blanket out and just lay there and look at the stars. You remember that growing up? We would take it on the trampoline. Yeah. Yeah. That was fun. And another thing, you know, just walking around admiring flowers. Flowers Mm -hmm. are just… The most amazing thing, yeah, you've always God loved. ever created. <laughs> yeah, when you actually look at, I know a flower, the colors, the design of it. I know people just take it for granted. Yeah, a lot of the times, yeah. just walk past it. But yeah, I think I got that from you, where I just admire everything and I just see everything as like a piece of artwork. Yeah, it is essentially. It is. Yeah, yeah, just being in nature is yeah. just so healing and it helpful. Is. Yeah. So. That's definitely also a lifestyle non-negotiable for me too. Yeah. I have to get outside every day. Yeah. What is your fitness routine, mother? Because you are <laughs> looking like a snack at 51. <laughs> I mean, I. it's so unfair. I hate running, so I do a lot of walking. Yeah. And um, I've always done push-ups. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I go, Mom, what are you going to talk about for your fitness routine? She just goes, push-ups. <laughs> But it's true, though. Yeah. At one point, I was able to do 30 push-ups straight. Yeah. Not girl push-ups. No, the real thing. The real push-ups. Yeah, and your form is amazing. Yeah, so… And it's just genetics, too. You're also very active. Yeah, I'm always active. I never sit. I I can't sit and watch a movie. I mean, I do have to make myself to watch movies. But but a lot of the time, I'm just like, I need to be productive. Yeah. So you do push-ups. I do push-ups, and then um, Dad and I will do our P ninety X ab workout. <laughs> oh my god! It's only still on DVD. Yeah. Yes, yeah, still on DVD. <laughs> we put it on. You guys are so cute. And then we'll, now we've been doing stretching. Mm. Every day we do stretching, mm-hmm. and then we'll go for a walk. Mm-hmm. And then every other day we do the P90X. But then a lot of time we skip. <laughs> we go three days. Okay. Now that we're done being so sore. Yeah. We'll go do our P90X. Yeah. But a lot of time we just go for a walk in the woods. And where we live, it's amazing. So you don't really have to force yourself to go outside. You yeah. want to go outside. It's just living an active lifestyle, which you guys have always lived Mm -hmm. and we have always lived as a family. Okay, mom. So Mm -hmm. one last question that I ask each guest at the end of every episode is if you could go back in time Mm -hmm. and give yourself one piece of advice, what would you say to your younger self? Don't care so much about what people think of you as a person. Love yourself. For who you are. Mm-hmm. That's a good one. Because I always worry about… Really? I never got that from you. I, well, now maybe because you've learned, but… Right. Yeah. I mean, I I was always a geek. <laughs> <laughs> you don't say. I'm <laughs> just kidding. Uh, but you were I, a cool geek, though. Yeah, I was a cool geek. But 
I am a worry ward, but I'm a private person. So I don't know. Worry less, I would tell yeah. my younger version. Yeah. Just know that everything's going to work out in the yeah. end, kind of. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good one. Yeah. Okay, mom. I never thought about that. I know. Before. It's yeah, hard to think of on, on the spot. Yeah. But I kind of like doing that because whatever pops into your mind first, I think, is probably the most mm. relevant of mm. what you need to probably say to your younger self. Yeah. Okay, mom. Hey. I love you. I love you too. Let's go You're home and great. cook dinner. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like I didn't even do anything. You just talked. I know. But it was good, though. Yeah. I know your story, obviously, but I'm just, I'm glad that we're getting it out to the world and having other people hear it because it's a very inspiring story and you've been through things that I can't even fathom. And it's just, it's almost weird because it almost doesn't feel real. Like I disassociate it from you because obviously I didn't know you back then. So it's Mm -hmm. just, it's hard for me to like grasp that you had to go through all of that trauma because it literally just feels like a movie. Mm-hmm. But I I love hearing the stories. Oh, we didn't talk about how I 15 years ago I found my father. Oh yeah. Oh, that's a whole that's another, another story. Yeah. But yeah, it's a happy ending. It is a very happy ending. I still haven't gotten a chance to meet my father, but I have two sisters, two French yes. sisters, and I was able to go to France and meet them both. Yes, and it you've amazing kindled a very special relationship yeah. with, especially one of your sisters. Yeah. You've gotten to connect with a lot because she yeah. came to visit you in Maine, yeah. and then you got to go visit her in Paris. Yeah, so it's like through adversity, although you've been through probably the toughest things in the world mm-hmm. that a person can go through. Yeah. You just have to be strong and work hard like you have your whole entire life and keep a positive mindset. I think the biggest thing that you've taught me is just living in gratitude. You've always taught me gratitude that. and kindness mm-hmm. goes a long way. Yeah. It does cuz you've you've experienced the lowest of the low. So, mm-hmm. yeah, you've always just instilled that in Chad and I. So, good. <laughs> <laughs> okay, mom. That's the one thing that a parent always dream of. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. okay. I love you. I love you. <laughs> Thank you all for listening to the show. I hope you gained some insight on how to practice becoming more mindful, learn the importance of listening to your intuition, gain some lifestyle takeaways and fitness tips. You can find me on Instagram at Cherokee Luker and the podcast at MILF Pod. So make sure you follow me to access exclusive content to help you become a better you, a better mother and a better human. Talk to you guys next week about all things MILF.